it's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pantidra. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. My name is Natalie Bucknell and I'm joined today by my co-host Kira Rundle. Hi Kira. Hey Nat, good to be here. Now, batteries for residential solar systems are becoming more common and their use is set to expand with a number of government subsidies proposed or already in place. Now, this seems like a great point to hit pause and consider what batteries are available and what their place is in home energy and on the grid. To help us unpack the sometimes contradictory information around batteries, we're joined today by Richard Keach. Richard is an experienced engineer with expertise in energy efficiency, renewable energy technologies and their role in society's response to climate change. Richard has a long involvement with Beyond Zero Emissions. He contributed to both the Stationary Energy Plan and the Buildings Plan and he's also the author of The Energy Freedom Home. He's a freelance consultant, a moderator on the Facebook group My Efficient Electric Home and blogger at New Energy Thinking. Hello, thanks for joining us today. Good to be here. So, Richard, an increasing number of people are considering batteries as part of their home energy mix. What are the reasons that people are getting batteries? There's a bunch of reasons. You can break them up. I think there's basically six different motivations that people have. Six? Um, Gee, that's a lot of different. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah, so, so any one person might have you know, one or more of these, but it, it helps to break it down. Um, environmental reasons. That could be encapsulated by the attitude, I don't want to buy polluting grid power or I, don't want, to I want to support clean tech or it'll be good for the grid. Um, then there's financial motivations summed up by the attitude of I don't want to buy expensive grid power or it'll save me money. Some people would do it out of necessity because they're remote. You know, the attitude of grid, what grid? Yeah, uh, they'd, they'd, they'd love to have a grid. Yeah. Some people do it out of a sense of the need for reliability or independence or self-control, you know, summed up by the attitude of, I don't trust the grid. Right. Um, some people do it b because of the bling factor, you know, <laughs> shiny power, mm, shiny. Um, and some people do it out of revenge, like, you know, screw the power company sort of attitude. So right. I think that's the whole realm of different motivations and any one person has probably got a combination of those and a lot of the people who are BZE listeners are probably more inclined to the environmental altruistic type of motivation. Okay so let's go along with that motivation since we're the Beyond Zero Emissions radio program. Does having a battery as part of your home energy system actually reduce greenhouse gas emissions? Um, maybe and then only indirectly. So it's more complicated than it seems. So certainly in the longer term, if our goal is to achieve a 100% renewably powered grid, we definitely need batteries to get to, to where we need to get environmentally in the longer term. Right. But if, if, if you're looking at the here and now, if the question is, will a battery in my home today 
make things better, the answer is much less clear. So by allowing consumers to bank their solar energy, it means that they need to buy less grid energy. So that, that looks like a good thing. However, if your solar energy that you're generating is going to be used anyway, whether you export it or use it in the home, then all of your solar energy is displacing fossil fuel grid power regardless of whether you have a battery. So from that point of view, it's less obvious whether having a battery is immediately a good thing. The other thing to point out is that batteries by themselves are a net consumer of energy. Let's say if they've got a round-trip efficiency of 90%, so in other words, you only get out 9 kilowatt hours of energy if you put in 10 kilowatt hours. So, so the batteries are consuming energy in and of themselves. So a home that puts in a battery, all other things being equal, is, is going to be consuming a little bit more power than it did without the battery. So that's a, another factor to, to consider, that batteries are going to actually slightly increase consumption overall. Just on that same line of thinking then, what about the actual battery itself and the amount of energy that goes into making the battery, the materials that are required? Are there any environmental concerns around the battery technology itself and the recycling, for example? There are. Possibly a a whole topic in and of itself. (laughs) Um, Lithium production is problematic. Lead pollution is a problem worldwide for lead acid batteries. So, so yeah, perhaps a a topic for another day, but yes, it needs to be considered. (laughs) But in terms of the overall proposition of batteries being good for the environment, I think a a good way to look at it is that they're a third-order priority. The first-order priority in terms of energy in in homes and buildings is to to reduce demand, make your house more Mm. efficient uh, and and get off fossil fuels. The second-order priority is to generate your own solar power. And if you've got those two things covered, then you might reasonably consider getting a battery, but not before. So, So batteries can be a bit of a distraction, I think. Okay, so environmentally, it's a little bit ambiguous. What about the economics of batteries? Is is that a reason that's pushing people towards them? People express that view, but I don't think the, the, the facts bear that out. If your motivation is economic, then my advice is hold off a bit until they get quite a bit cheaper, which will happen. The, the, the costs are coming down quickly and the technology is maturing. But, but just to put that in, in perspective, a good way to look at it is to, to look at the warranted life of a system and its capacity and, and think in terms of ha- how much total energy can be delivered to a house over, over the warranted life of the system and then divide that by the cost of the system and, and you get a cost per kilowatt hour stored over the life of the system. And of the systems that I've looked at, that cost is around about 40 to 50 cents uh, some are a little bit cheaper, some are even uh, quite a lot more, but 40 to 50 cents is not a bad guideline uh, for, for the energy. 40 cents... Yeah, so you're paying a premium, for, aren't you? Yeah, so, and that's not the total cost of the energy, that's just the cost mm. of parking the energy in the battery. Wow. So, so if, for example, your PV costs you 5 cents a kilowatt hour, and, and that's a, a, a reasonable figure, then... Uh, and if your battery costs you 45 cents, then, then the cost of your solar 
goes from being five cents to being 50 cents. So you're basically increasing mm. by a factor of 10 the cost of the solar energy on your roof. So, so I don't think the economics are great from that perspective. We'll, we'll look at another way. A 10 kilowatt hour battery is holding about $3 worth of energy at day retail rate. So, and that might cost you $10,000. So $10,000 of equipment to store $3 worth of energy <laughs> at, a, at a time doesn't seem like good economics to me. And what, what is the typical lifespan of a battery, Richard? Um, a lot of the better ones have been warranted for 10 years. And so if you're buying one, you, you should be looking for, for warranties of about that long at least. Okay, so while we're on the topic of battery costs, um, several states have got battery subsidy programs and Federal Labor have also announced a, a battery subsidy plan. Is this good policy to subsidise re- residential batteries? I think it's worth looking at, yes, and arguably the, the grid benefits at least as much as the consumers from having batteries. So, so yes, it's a good thing for state governments to be applying policy towards and incentives towards. But we don't want to get carried away with it um, because, like I said, the, the risk is that the batteries will be a distraction and take money, you know, both government incentive money and, and consumer money that might better be spent on efficiency and on solar. Right, and I guess based on the figures that you just mentioned even with a subsidy, the economic case for household battery is probably still borderline? Yeah, absolutely. So now let me ask you a direct question. I have optimized the energy usage in my home. I have installed a photovoltaic system on my roof that's going to supply me throughout the course of the year with all the energy that I need, although it's a variable energy supply. So... Does it make sense for me to now buy a battery to complement those two things? I think it does. It makes sense as a contribution towards making the grid better able to to cope with variations in the amounts of renewables, especially as the penetrations of of solar uh, increases. A good way to look at that is, is a model that Tim Forsey came up with that looks at the phases in the path towards 100% renewable grid. And I think it's a good mental model, so, so just bear with me hmm. and I'll explain it. The, the, the first phase, uh, first steps phase, is, is basically where we're at, where we've got variable renewable energy sources only, no significant amounts of storage, and, and the fossil fuel generators on the grid reduce their output when cheap renewables are available. And that's fine up until the point when we reach the limits of the ability of the fossil fuel generators to cover for the dips in supply of renewables. So, so that's then the start of phase two, the consolidation phase, where start, you can't really increase the, the penetration of renewables without getting some significant amounts of storage into the grid, and whether it be on the grid or or behind the meter in people's homes, um, that storage is going to be necessary to support the increased penetration of, of renewables into the grid. And that storage you know, is sort of applicable on a sort of a daily or weekly timescale. Mm. Uh, 
and, and that penetration of, of renewables can then keep rising up until the point where we reach the limit of the ability of the short-term storage to cover for seasonal variation. In, in other words, in southern Australia, that, that, that lull in winter uh, generation, and we need some longer-term storage. So, so when you get really high levels of, of, of renewables, you, we're going to need some very long-term storage, so potentially bioenergy or hydrogen, very large pumped hydro perhaps, uh, to get us through seasonal variations like, uh, like winter in southern Australia. So this kind of leads to a question that we have for you about the grid and the impact that batteries have on the grid. Um, there's the concept of the virtual power plant. Where does that come into it? What is that and where does it come into it, Richard? A virtual power plant is the idea that lots of small batteries can be ganged together and act as one big, uh, serious, bona fide energy storage system. And I think it's a great idea because it, it can mean that batteries can start to be better able to respond to the, the real-time needs of the grid in typically peak events. So uh, when, when you have price spikes in the wholesale price of energy, then, then these virtual power plants can be uh, commanded to reduce electrical demand or actually push energy out into the grid just like a generator would. So how does that work in practice? What's needed for home batteries to be part of a system like that? Well, you need some company. It might be a battery company or a third-party company. And a good example is Reposit, uh, an Australian-based company based in Canberra. A Reposit system, they, they basically provide their household with a, a smart box that um, is internet-connected and controls the uh, delivery of energy from the battery. So each home pays a small amount up front for one of these boxes and then at the back end, uh, that virtual power plant company makes a, arrangements with, uh, with wholesale energy supply companies and, 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 and the grid and basically contracts that collection of, of batteries to be able to act on demand to respond when required. And the, the benefit for the, for the consumer is they participate in a system that, that, re- that can reward them. The rewards are, will vary from system to system, but basically there's going to be some additional incentive provided to the consumer for, for allowing the battery to be part of this. Okay, so then the householder is indirectly participating in the national energy market. Yeah, their system is a, is a small part of a larger generator that helps out when, when things get tight. Listeners, if you've just joined us, we're talking to Richard Keach from New Energy Thinking about residential batteries. Richard, that leads on to the topic of energy arbitrage. Would you like to explain that for our listeners? Yeah, arbitrage is an economic concept of basically buying cheap and selling at a high, higher price. So as it relates to energy as a commodity... The price varies uh, in real time. The wholesale price, that is, it varies with demand and supply. Um, so arbitrage in that context means buying electricity when it's cheap and then selling it back into the grid when it's more expensive. And batteries let you do that. You can, you can charge up the battery when the, the wholesale price is low and 
when the wholesale price is higher, you can pump back into the grid. And, and that, sort of that's the business model for, for, for pumped hydro. Okay, so that's taking your battery beyond just stocking up from your solar PV. Yeah, so potentially a battery can charge up from the grid, uh, not just from, from solar. Along the same lines, we've learned that the Nissan Leaf, uh, with any luck, will be in Australia by mid-2019 next year, their, their newest model. And they're basically advertising it as a battery for your home, so you can store excess energy in your car, uh, so in your electric vehicle. Can you expand on that a little bit and tell our listeners yeah, if that yeah. makes sense? Indeed, that, it's an interesting, uh, quite exciting actually. The Nissan Leaf, the new Nissan Leaf, has a forty kilowatt hour battery, which is pretty big. Mm. Um, to put that in context, a typical home battery system is only about ten to fifteen kilowatt hours. So, oh wow, we're talking, okay. we're talking three to four times the size. So, if there were some way of of using that battery to the benefit of the home and to the grid, then that's a good thing. Nissan got into this post the tsunami and, and earthquake back in 2011 and, and wired up a whole bunch of Nissan, earlier Nissan Leafs in Japan to help supply energy to the grid in Japan. And since then, they've made that system available, in the, mainly in Japan, but it's just been also certified for use in Germany and hope, you know, presumably it's going to be here as well. The publicity launch for the Nissan Leaf happened back in October in Australia. And they did announce this vehicle-to-grid facility as, as an important capability or, or differentiating uh, capability. Because so, as far as I know, none, no other battery electric models come with this capability. So it, it's going to need a, a special piece of kit. I think in the Nissan case, they're calling it leaf-to-home. Mm. But, but basically, it's, it's, a, it's an enabling device that, that supports what's generically being called vehicle-to-grid, also called vehicle-to-home technology. So whereas normally at home you just have a device, a charger on the wall, mm-hmm. you plug it in, the energy goes one way from, from the grid into the car. These new enabling devices are bi-directional, so it's a, it's a larger device. It's, it doesn't work with, with all cars, but it basically is a smart control device that once plugged in, the it can command the car to charge or discharge as required to, to use the battery to best advantage. So that's what but that's about. It, it's an exciting proposition. Mm-hmm. It's got some downsides. It's highly proprietary. So, for example, in the Nissan case, it's only going to work with that type of car. Mm-hmm. So one of the limitations in, in the adoption of vehicles of grid is, is the need for some open standards around this so you're not locked in. Uh, for one, so it'll be good to yeah. for that vehicle-to-grid technology not to be tied to one particular manufacturer's yeah. kit. To your original question, it's an exciting possibility, and uh, I look forward to seeing how it goes. And I think it'll come. Its success will come down to the price. So uh, we don't yet know how much it's going to be, and that that will have a big bearing on how successful it is. And you mentioned the battery in the car itself, so you said 40 kilowatts, is that right? 40 kilowatt hours. Kilowatt hours. For, for the battery in the Leaf, and the, the Renault Zoe is another available smaller battery electric car in Australia. It, it too has 
40 kilowatt hours. The new Hyundai Ionic just launching very soon, next month actually. It's got a 28 kilowatt hour battery pack, so it's a bit smaller. Mm. Are these typical sizes for electric car battery packs, or are they making them a little bit bigger so that you do have that added storage for your home potentially? Well, the, the Tesla Model S has had battery pack sizes up you know, from 60 to 100 kilowatt oh, wow. hours for, for ages. But the earlier Nissan Leafs and, and, and other first-generation EVs have had battery packs typically 16 to 20 kilowatt hours, which hasn't been enough. But those cars were good. The, the, the need for decent range has increased the capacity of the batteries. So, yeah, so 40 is a battery size, which gives an EV a range around about 300 kilometres. So, Richard, going back to our home batteries, we've got a few more minutes. Could you take us through some of the battery options that people can consider if they're looking at getting a home battery? And also, just what sort of criteria should people be considering if they're making the selection? The batteries are available. Many of them are just the battery packs, which you can't use by themselves. They've got to be connected to a suitable inverter. Some are batteries included and integrated with the battery inverter and charger. So that's a much more capable unit by itself. And then some go further and have the, the solar inverter as well. So, so in a home, hypothetically, that doesn't already have solar, you might put um, an all-in-one battery unit that's got the battery storage and it's got the solar inverter and the battery inverter charger all together in one, in one neat unit. So that's attractive. It's because it's all in one. And, but if you've already got solar, then that's a different proposition. You're probably looking at getting a battery system that usually called AC coupled. So in other words, it can just plug into the AC power in your home. The battery system's got the batteries themselves and a charger and an inverter. So, so they're the sorts of broad choices you've got in, in terms of batteries at the moment. But if you're interested in finding out more about that, there's a couple of good resources. There's a website called SolarQuotes created by a guy named Finn Peacock, and he's got a good battery comparison table, which got about 30, you know, 35, 36 different batteries featured. There's also a new resource that, that I just found out about the other day called Battery Finder, and that's from the Energy Storage Council. Sorry, Smart Energy Council. So smartenergy.org.au is the website, and the resource is called Battery Finder. So if you just Google Battery Finder Smart Energy, you'll find it. As of yesterday, when I looked at the 218 different battery system configurations in their database. So wow, there's a big range. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I gather a lot of those different configurations are variations of, this, of the same thing. So, so you know, we're not talking 218 different types of batteries, but you get the idea. Yeah. There, there's a fair, fair amount of choice out there. Fantastic. Um, so the, the market's maturing. Lithium-ion energy storage is the main game at the moment. Uh, there's still some lead-acid lead systems out there as well as some other technologies. But, yeah, the most interesting and, I think, dominant part of the market at the moment is the lithium batteries. Thanks, Richard. L- unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you very much for joining us for this conversation. You're welcome, Nat and Kira. Bye-bye. 
We've been talking to Richard Keach from New Energy Thinking about residential battery systems. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. And if you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, then you can go to bze.org.au and click on podcasts. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs, go to the same website and click on the donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.